What if you could become a better person, not by working harder, but by taking one small step a day? And not because you're a bad person now, but because there's something inside you that's ready for more. How to be a better person gives you one tiny step a day you can take to be the person you want to be. My mission? To help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to How to Be a Better Person with me, Kate Hanley. It's great to have you here. This week on the podcast, I'm checking back in on our collective anti-racism efforts because the need for this work truly never ends and therefore neither should our attention to it. We all need reminders and support and I hope these five episodes this week will help you keep going and keep growing as a force for building a more inclusive and equitable world. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Amanda Kemp, a racial justice coach, mindfulness mentor, and author of the best-selling book, Stop Being Afraid, Five Steps to Transform Your Conversations About Racism. Dr. Amanda is a master teacher who has helped over 25,000 people of all races have open-hearted conversations, become more conscious of how to use their power for good, and cultivate racial justice for all. Dr. Amanda believes that joy, awareness, and community are key pieces of any anti-racism work, and I am very excited to hear her insights. Dr. Amanda, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Kate. So a lot of books on anti-racism are coming at the subject from an intellectual standpoint. You know, it's pointing out how centuries of racist policy have resulted in the society we live in today. And of course, that's important. But you talk about racial justice from the heart. Can you tell us what that means and why you think that's important? Yes, I can. So in 2015 or so, after some high-profile police shooting of unarmed Black people, Sandra Bland. It was a couple years after the killing of Trayvon Martin in his neighborhood by George Zimmerman. I got a very upset email from my son. Mm -hmm. And in it, he told me he felt like his life wasn't worth anything. And, you know, it brought me to tears in a public space. (laughs) And I knew I had to do better to become more effective and also to do better by myself. You know, I had to do better for me in order to model what it could look like to be a racial justice advocate, change maker for my son. So I began to invest in mindful self-compassion courses. I was often the only Black person, but I just tuned everybody else out. And just focused on learning how to be kind and how to fill my cup. And as I did these practices, and I really took them to heart, and I, you know, as I did each one, I went online to share about it with people in my community. I found that my capacity to be with people who didn't understand institutional racism with people who were coming from a really an automatic kind of white defensive script, I found that I just wasn't as reactive to them. I felt more grounded and settled. And the real breakthrough moment came for me when I was talking with a white coworker who 
asked me to talk with him about Black Lives Matter. And I had already seen from his previous comments that he was coming from a Blue Lives Matter position and was very skeptical and critical of Black Lives Matter. So I, I noticed that when I finally said yes to the conversation, that we ended up having this very heartfelt exchange where I didn't feel exhausted, used, manipulated. Instead, I felt grounded and powerful and unattached Mm. at the end of the conversation. And when I reflected on that, I realized that, wow, I had been incorporating mindful self-compassion into the conversation. And therefore, it left me feeling completely differently than how these conversations normally go. And I felt like I had made a connection with this man. But a couple of years later, he strolled up to me when I was actually working on my book about how to have difficult conversations about racism. Mm -hmm. He said, I know you're busy. I just want you to know that you changed this white boy's life. Mm. And then he walked away. And I was like, (laughs) wow, was that confirmation or what? So the steps that I used organically in the conversation with him, I began to really apply in, in other conversations and then to share with other people. And eventually it's just become a, a fundamental part of what I teach. So to answer your question, racial justice from the heart is really about coming from compassion, being grounded in, in my body when I stand for, move for, advocate for racial justice. That's such an amazing story. You know, I think, man, there's nothing like <laughs> having kids experience something to get you to question, you know, and, and want to do better for your kids. And, you know, I think in that moment, it would have been easy for you to, it's often a, a common internal script to, in that moment of realizing you need to do better, to think, I need to work harder. I got to double down or, you know, to very rightfully feel angry and get you know, fueled by anger, sort of. And I love that you put together the pieces of you needed to take care of yourself and so that you could come from a more grounded way for people who are maybe think about mindfulness as a tool for stress relief, you know, something that you might do in a yoga class, or what have you. How did you start to make the connection between this? practice that's often used for relaxation and not just being out in the world and interacting with other people, but being out in the world and interacting with other people around this topic that was so incredibly personal and important to you, for your son, and for the world at large. You know, I think that's kind of a leap, and I'm just interested in how you maybe how you put it together, but also what you've learned about how mindfulness, what it does for us in these kind of tough moments or these Mm -hmm. things that really are emotion fueled. Yeah. Well, another way you could, you could call it is cultivating presence. You could call it cultivating the ability to be coming from and connected to my deepest, truest self, not my injured ego self. 
So you're saying, how did I kind of put it together? It's not like, because this was not a yoga class. Well, when I put it together with self-care, I know from my lived experience that my ability to be a effective leader is 100% linked to how full my cup is, meaning where I'm at physically, emotionally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. And if I haven't put attention to filling my cup, then I come to conversations dry or mistakenly looking for someone else to fill me, who most of the time in a racial justice conversation has doesn't have the capacity to fill me because what they have is a script that they've been given for most of their lives. I look at it as part of me exercising autonomy and owning myself to care for this system, meaning this body, mind, spirit combination over here. I don't want to put my system, this system, in the hands of unskilled people who may have good intentions, but who are really relying on their conditioning. You know, just the way you're talking about this is so generous, right? (laughs) To say that people are unskilled and they're operating out of their conditioning. And I I assume that 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 your self-care and your mindfulness practice also helps you take that stance. Would you say that's true? Yeah, because, you know, my son um, leads a meditation series once a week now, the same son who was so frustrated, angry, and broken apart by Mm -hmm. what he was seeing when he was in high school. And honestly, he's one of my teachers now. (laughs) And what, what he said in a recent meditation that he led a week or so ago was, we're going to fill ourselves with compassion so that we have overflow, so that we naturally can extend it to others. And that whole gentle approach of starting with the self, of tending to the self, of trusting that there will be overflow, makes it easier to be in this body and in this mind at this time. So let's say you're having a conversation. I don't know. It doesn't, maybe it's the conversation that you were sharing with us about your white coworker or if a listener's having a conversation with somebody, you know, I'm a white woman. I assume that most of my listeners are white. Say someone in their family has said something that they want to challenge or point out lovingly that they may, (laughs) there might be another way to think about that. How do you implement the mindfulness? Like what is going on in the moment of the conversation that allows you to tap into that compassion and lead with your inner wisdom? Like literally, what do you do? Okay. Literally, I start with the feet on the ground. I go to my feet. I go to the ground. And then I go to my breath. And then I ask myself, can I, is this wise for me to have this conversation right now? with this person. And before I slowed down, I would just have the conversation with whoever knocked on my door, so to speak. But now I realize I have power 
over when I have these conversations. So I do, I take those two steps. I go to my feet, mm-hmm. I find my breath, and then I ask myself, should I have this conversation right now? And I give myself permission to decline, mm-hmm. to send someone else to another resource and say, you know, I really, I would be willing to have this conversation with you, but check this out first, because that would give us some common vocabulary, for example. Mm. Or I would love to talk with you about this. Let me look at my calendar. So I remind myself of my autonomy. And if I choose to have a conversation about it, or when I choose to say yes to the conversation, then I consciously focus on my breathing and staying relaxed while the other person is talking. And in fact, I make the choice most of the time to let them do most of the talking. I love that. I'm taking notes as you talk. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'll tell you, there are five steps and I share them publicly. They're not meant to be a secret. (laughs) Awesome. Are they something you could take us through right now? Or are they, is that a place we should send, we should send folks to go get their download? You tell me. Well, I did write a book and I want to tell you the five steps. And then of course the book will give you much more detail. So the first step is to check in with your wise self. Should I have this conversation now? You check in with your body and your emotional state. And if you decide yes, then you go to step two, which is to hold space for transformation. And that is to be in your breath, sink into your heart. And I say to myself, this is like a mantra, I am unconditional love. I am unconditional acceptance. And what I'm saying to myself is, I don't have anything to prove. Mm. I'm letting go. I'm relaxed and I'm, I'm, I'm bigger than anything. Than any, I am big. <laughs> I am not just this body and this ego. And then the third step is to lean in and listen. And I have found that when I listen in this way, and this happened with the white coworker, he got more and more vulnerable and personal in his sharing. So he moved from the level of policy and position, position to life story sharing. Mm-hmm. And then step four is to ask, which is exactly what I did with this coworker. I said, would you like to hear what it's like for me? Mm-hmm. And I waited until he said yes. And if he had said no, then I would not have shared. Because part of the exhaustion and frustration comes from talking to someone who doesn't want to listen. But when you ask, it's like, it's unusual to ask for people to ask each other, would you like to hear what it's like for me? And anyway, um, I shared something very brief and heartfelt. And I completed the conversation. And for me, step five is to, ch- to like reflect on what happened. How do I feel? What do I need to give myself after this conversation? Where did I get triggered? Where did I lose myself? Or where did I feel connected? So those are the five steps that I did in that 
real life experience. And, and those are the steps that I, I recommend other people try out for themselves. Not every conversation is a, um, is not, for not every conversation about racism is there this open-ended curiosity, spaciousness uh, possible. Sometime if harm is being done right in front of your face or if you need to hold someone accountable, mm-hmm. the step needs to be tweaked, but essentially it's the same structure. Great. If you could wave your magic wand and have everyone understand something fundamental about racial justice and what's possible in the pursuit of racial justice, what would it be? That racial justice and compassion go hand in hand. That the cultivation of justice or the standing for justice, the acting for justice without compassion and humility easily become self-righteousness and um, a replication of us versus them. So Dr. Amanda Kemp, thank you for sharing all this with us. And for folks who want to connect with you and learn more from you, which I highly recommend, I get your newsletters. I learn something from every single one. Where can they find you? They can find me at dramandakemp.com, which is spelled dramandakemp.com. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. Hi, it's Kate here with your tiny assignment, which is just to start to practice these things that Dr. Amanda was sharing with us in terms of when you're having a conversation with someone else, it doesn't have to be about anything even remotely emotionally tense, like anti-racism. But just in the next 24 hours, when you're talking to someone, bring your attention to feeling your feet on the floor and then mindfully take a breath. You can do this while they're talking so that it will help you listen and it will also help you respond to whatever they say as opposed to react to whatever they say. Practicing now will make it that much easier to remember to do the next time you're in conversation with someone and something tense does come up, whether they say something that is racially disturbing or, or you do and they call you out on it. Okay, I hope that you will come back tomorrow when I am talking about what to do when you're called out. Thanks for listening to How to Be a Better Person. Our theme song is Left for Deadish by Junior85. The podcast is mixed by Sound Advice Strategies. If you liked what you heard in this episode, share it with someone you think would like it too. Your voice matters. Also, How to Be a Better Person has an official newsletter that sends the past seven episodes, a sneak peek of the week ahead, and one well-chosen meme to your inbox every Saturday morning. Sign up at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com and click on Get Podcast News. I also love to hear from listeners. I mean, I love it. Send me an email by clicking on the Contact Kate button at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com. Tweet me at Kate Han, K-A-T-E-H-A-N, or find me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. I look forward to connecting with you. 